and welcome to A Bookshelf Binge. I'm your host, Jessica, and today I am joined by critically acclaimed author Farah Heron. You might know Farah as the author of The Chai Factor, Accidentally Engaged, and Tahira in Bloom. And I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today to discuss her new book, Camilla Knows Best, which is set to be released next week on March 8th. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Jessica. This is so exciting. So how do you feel your new book's coming out? Are you like super excited? I'm extremely excited that it's coming out. Um, I've got, I've been super busy right now with deadlines for other books and things like that. Um, and so it just suddenly hit me, like I got, I got the finished books yesterday and it hit me that this is finally coming out. I feel like this book has been an idea in my head for so long. And of course you work on it for years before it comes out. So I, I'm really excited because I think this is my most fun book and I, I can't wait to talk about it more. That's so fun. It's like, it's a fantastic book. I loved it, but it's also traditionally published. So like that timeline to get it from like, from writing it to publishing it must be like much longer. <laughs> yeah. And this is the first book I ever, um, so if you, if anyone knows a bit about how publishing works, that usually you write the whole book and then you sell it to a publisher, but often a publisher will then say, yeah, but we want two books. So this was the second in that two books. So I hadn't written it yet when it was sold. And this is the first book I've ever sold on proposal. It's called where I have an idea for the book and I wrote a uh, like a short synopsis. And so it was just an idea in my head. And then I'm like, now I have to sit down and write it. So I was scared because that's something that, that you don't know how a book's going to turn out. I often, I mean, I have a ton of trunk books and I don't know if a book's going to work out until I sit down and write it. So I didn't know if this story idea was going to work. And then of course I wrote it in the first months of the pandemic. So if you think back to that um, early 2020, the stress of it, like it was just uncertainty, stress. I didn't see people for months. My whole family was at home instead of at school or at work. So it was a very stressful time. And I think that's why the book ended up being just lots of parties and lots of fun because that was all the things that we weren't doing then. Um, so I'm really excited now that that I get to release the book and talk about it because there's, you're, you're right, it's such a long period of time. And there's a, a lot of time where the book is just living in my head and now I feel like I can share it. That's so fun. But also like, you have kids. I can't even imagine doing like early pandemic with kids. Like yeah. that just sounds terrifying and like so much, but you really can feel like a sense of fun and like excitement when you read this book. So like, I can definitely see what you mean about like wanting all of the parties. <laughs> like, yeah, wanting all the parties, wanting all the food, wanting to have friends over all the time and, and, and get together and go to restaurants and all the things that we weren't doing when I wrote it. Um, and I think, I mean, a mental state wasn't great. I don't think anyone in the world's mental state was great at the time. And so whenever I would get stuck with something with the book where the outside world was getting distracting me or something, I would just throw in another dog. Um, and it became a big joke that my family was like, oh no, she's stuck. There's going to be another dog in the book. This is how we ended up with puppies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so fun. Can you kind of talk about how you started writing in the first place? Like you said, you have a bunch of like books that you haven't released. So like this has been your life for a very long time, it feels like. <laughs> It actually hasn't. I'm, I consider myself to be pretty new to writing, especially compared to people that I, like my friends and such. Um, I actually started writing in 2016. 
and and I know exactly when I started. I started January 2016. Um, in in 2015, the year before that, I was going through some some personal medical stuff, and I was coping by reading romance. Um, and I know, I, I, just like every other romance reader, I was reading a lot of romance, and that's how I got through that year. I started tracking my books that I read for the first time that year, and I read 150 by the end of the year. Majority romance, a couple of nonfiction here and there, a couple of um, general fiction, but vast majority was romance. Um, and I would read like a book a day and then take like a two day break and then read another book a day and then a two day break. So by the end of 2015, I had so many ideas in my head. I'm like, I always, I've always thought one day I'd like to write, one day I'd like to write. And now I'm, I'm ingesting so much of the medium that I'm like, now's time to actually start. So it was January, 2016, I started writing and everything kind of went fast for me. Um, my first book came out in 2019. So I sold that book in 2017. So it was literally, I'd been writing for about a year. Now that, that shocks some people, but I say I've been, I was only been writing for a year, but I'd only been writing fiction for a year. I used to be a blogger. I used to, uh, I had, I've had so many different jobs and all of them required me to write a lot. Um, so I've been writing a lot, but that was when I first started fiction. So I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of new to the game, but I kind of jumped in right away with getting traditionally published kind of soon after I started writing. And thankfully I wrote fast-ish so I could get through because it does take several books before you have something that's ready to be published. And I could get through those several books fast because I had the time and I could write fast. So I wrote lots of crappy books that are never going to see the, the, the light of day. They're happy in my drawer. And then I started writing, writing books on proposal and then on contract. That's so cool. Like that timeline is so short and so fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was very lucky. I also think that, I, I mean, I say, I say I was very lucky. I mean, I worked hard for it. I, I will not say it was just all in luck. But I was lucky that I came in it at the right time. Um, so I said that I'd always thought about writing. And so sometimes I kick myself. I'm like, why didn't I do this earlier? Why didn't I do this earlier? But I don't think that the kind of books I was writing would have gone anywhere earlier. Um, it was funny. My first book, The Chai Factor, when, when it was on submission, when we were trying to sell it, more than one publisher says, well, rom-coms aren't really selling. And I find that hilarious because rom-coms like exploded that year pretty wow. much. So my timing wasn't quite right because I was writing, uh, this is what I want to write. It's always been rom-coms for me. So my timing wouldn't have been right if I had started, say, three years earlier, four years earlier. And also diversity. There wasn't a lot of, I mean, there weren't any other South Asian romance writers when I was starting to write. It wasn't until I read a Sonali Dev book that I realized that I could write South Asian romance characters because I hadn't seen one until I read her book. And her first book came out, I think it was 2017. So there was, there was nothing before that. I love that like romance in particular has really like wrapped its arms around like uplifting more person of color voices and more minority voices. Like it feels like it's romance has always been such an underrated genre and they're like using that to their advantage to be like, we can be inclusive like yeah. in recent years like definitely not always the case but like in the last like I would say like four three years it's been really nice to see it's it's been great I feel like maybe maybe because romance like romance has always been kind of looked down on in publishing or it's always like super super profitable and the biggest uh, the biggest genre by far 
for sales, but it doesn't get the respect of other genres and it doesn't, it gets looked down on a lot. And I don't know if that is why it became so, it's so welcoming to people that are also had been like on the fringes had been marginalized. Um, and of course you're right. It's not, it's not everywhere. It's not all across the board, but it's really, really great to see that, um, that romance, you can, you can do well in romance and we're not required to only write one kind of story to, to be popular. Like I don't have to write just like immigrant pain stories or um, stories about racism. I can write that and put it in romance, but I don't have to write that, which I love. Yeah. It very much felt like, like when I was reading Camilla Knows Best, like it, they just were, it's like, if you've ever seen like interviews about Schitt's Creek, like Dan Levy was like, my character's pansexual. And like, I just like, he just is like, you don't have to live in a world of pushing like racism and criticism and sexism on people like he just like exists in the world and that's who he is and no one really says anything about it and that's how these felt it felt like it didn't have to be a huge strife to be South Asian they just were South Asian and Mm -hmm. that that was completely intentional yeah that was completely I mean sometimes I do talk about microaggressions and stuff in my books um this book it just it didn't fit with it didn't feel right. There was no point where I'm like, okay, this is where I'm going to talk about um, how to live in your life as a woman of color or anything like that. Meanwhile, in other books, it it fit. So I'm not I'm not coming at it with any like agenda that this book is like an issue book. I'm just writing about the characters and about what the characters are going through. And especially, I mean, I I live in Toronto. I've lived here my whole life, and the part of Toronto I live in is is the most diverse part of Toronto. And Toronto is the most diverse city in the world. Um, so it's not, it, it's not something that I, I walk out the door and I feel like I am a brown woman and I'm, I'm a minority everywhere I go. That's not what our reality here is like. And I'm not saying there aren't issues with being a woman of color in Toronto, but the reality of how I live here and how Camila would live as a woman of color in Toronto is a little bit different from, say, if she lived somewhere else, somewhere that doesn't have as much diversity. I love that. Were you ever nervous about writing books so entrenched in your own culture or was it very much just like you wrote what you know? Oh, I was very nervous. Um, I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't, I have that, that the, all those trunked books. I didn't think that I should be writing South Asian characters until I wrote, until I read a Sonali Dev book because I wanted to write romance from the beginning and it didn't occur to me that there would be that anyone would read because I mean there are South Asian romance books before that but not mainstream and not what am I trying oh they're not they're not taking place in North America like there are stories and elsewhere in the world but mainstream traditional romance books with South Asian characters I hadn't read it before Sonali Dev's book Um, so I didn't think there was a possibility to do that and then when, when I decided to actually start writing, it was her and another author that kind of encouraged me um, to, to write South Asian characters. And then I was still very nervous. I was, I mean, when you're a new writer, you're nervous about everything you do. I still am to some degree, but I was very nervous about writing with the specificity of my culture, um, about writing Muslim characters. Uh, I don't, I'm not super devout. I, I do identify as a Muslim, but I'm not very religious and my characters aren't either. And I knew that, would, um, that wouldn't be something, some people are looking for representation that they're not gonna find in my books because we're not, it, it's not, they're not religious characters. 
And I knew that would be an issue. And I also, I like, I respect my culture and I respect my religion and I don't want to put a bad name in it. I don't want to um, say anything that will, people will take as, as a criticism of it. So there's kind of a fine line there of not being super religious, but also respecting it. Um, so as, as you can imagine, when there isn't a lot of books out there that cover that, that are, take place at my, my culture, it was very hard for me to, to like, okay, yeah, should I do it? And I remember with my first book, it was like the third edit with my editor. So like with it, the book was purchased, it was all, and then I was like, yeah, I'm going to go in and be more specific about the culture as opposed to just being very generic South Asian. And then I, I, I put in all the specificity, but what part of the world their family came from, what, what type of Muslim they were. And I added that all in really late in the game because I was so scared to do it. But everything ended up okay. Um, I think I have a thicker skin now. I know that it's not something that everybody loves because um, they're not finding the representation they want. And that's fine. I'm not actually looking to educate the world on my culture or anything. That's not the point. The point is just to write, basically write what I know and write the kind of stories that I would have loved to read. I love that. And like, everyone's culture is different. Everyone's relationship to their culture is different. And so seeing, like, hearing you speak about this and reading it in your book, it very felt, it very much felt like a respectful way of showing your culture. And like, it was like very much like, this is who I am. I'm just going to put it out there. And, yeah. and it's, a different kind, it's a different kind of story then. Um, one of the, I have a lot of South Asian romance writer friends, like we talk all the time. And one of the things that we're always repeating to each other is we are not a monolith. So in, a, in our little chat group, we have me who is Canadian, I'm the only Canadian in the group, but I'm, I'm Canadian and my parents are from East Africa. And then others are Gujarati, their, their family, some of them are from, from India, born there and now live in the US. Some of them are second generation born in the US. Um, we have Punjabi, we have uh, South Indian, we have Bangladesh. Like we're all so, so, so different. Um, we're all South Asian, but we are in no way similar beyond that. Like we have so many differences in the way our families are, the languages, our food, everything. We have a lot in common too. But one of the things that bugs us all very much is when somebody says, well, the Indian representation wasn't right. Well, what does that mean? Like India is an enormous country um, with tons of different cultures within it, tons of languages alone. Like it's, it's, it's mind boggling how diverse India is. Other than the fact that everybody looks brown, there's, there's tons and tons of differences. So when we say over and over again, we are not a monolith. And we know that the only way that people are gonna stop looking at us all as the same, as interconnected, as like interchangeable, is if there's more of us. The more that there are of us, the more people would realize that when we're all writing about our specific culture, that it's not interchangeable in any way. Um, so we're always looking to like boost each other, to get all of our, our names out there and get all of our voices out there to support each other because the most the more there are of us the more people will understand that we're all different absolutely it's I find it very funny as like a very American white check <laughs> all like most of the rom-coms that I have read have been from South Asian authors and the like like you said the representation in all of them is all very different and I think that's why I, I really really enjoy it is that no two books are the same no two characters experiences are the same your book was the first South Asian Muslim book that I read and I loved seeing that and it's 
really fun for me to like pick all of these pieces and like see yeah. almost a full like a bigger picture than I would just a bigger yeah the bigger picture to understand the diversity basically of the entire South Asian diaspora mm -hmm. I love it I loved it so much <laughs> your books have received all of the raving reviews and it was so fun to see like your first book the chai factor was praised in book riot and bustle accidentally engaged was listed as the a best book of 2021 like everywhere to hear in bloom was praised by usa today how does it feel to like have that trajectory especially so quick after starting to like write fiction how did that feel <laughs> it, it, it a lot of it is very surreal um you don't go into a book thinking that it's at least I don't. I know some people do. They go in and they're expecting that it's going to be like this great bestseller. I never went into that. I think the fact that I only started writing more recently has kind of been really good because I'm not so like, it's not like I've for 20 years, I've been plowing away and then nobody noticed when my book came out. So I think in that way, I didn't really expect anything of it. I didn't start writing for it to become my career. It is my career. I don't have another job now, but I didn't intend that to happen. It just kind of happened. Um, so in a way it's been kind of surreal. Um, I get very excited. I get very excited about, especially when, like, for example, it was list, uh, accidentally engaged was listed as one of the best books in Canada. And I'm, to me, that's super exciting because I live here. And then of course, other people are like, yeah, but also NPR said it was one of the best. And like the U S is a lot bigger than Canada. I'm like, I don't care. So there's definitely some things that excite me more than others. And, um, a lot of it is surreal and also a lot of it, it's, it's not really changing the way I write. The books that I'm coming out with, I'm still going to keep working. I have to keep working if I want a career. That's just the way publishing is. You have to keep coming out with new books. And it's not uh, all the, the positive, um, positive reviews and attention that those books got is great, but it's not going to change how I write the next one. Um, I still just write the kind of stories that I want to write. That's good because you write fantastic stories. Thank I would you. hate anything to influence that. <laughs> it feels like you like became an overnight sensation and I love it so much. It's so fantastic. <laughs> an overnight sensation, except that I don't sleep. I work like 12 hours, like 12 hour days. My house is a mess. So there's, there's a cost to pay for everything. Everything. <laughs> What's your favorite part about being an author? So um, my favorite part of the work, like the actual writing the book, my favorite part is probably when I'm editing it. Um, and I'm saying that now kind of hesitantly because I'm editing a book right now and it's driving me up the wall. Um, <laughs> but I do think that taking like your first draft is basically a mess. It's a way of telling myself the story. It's just trying to figure out what's going on. And then taking that mess and making it all make sense. And it feels like you're putting a puzzle together, especially at the end the satisfaction of getting that last piece of the puzzle together. Um, so I really do love that. And both when I'm doing my own self edits and then when I'm working with an editor, the editor can see things that I can't and can see big picture things that I, I've got tunnel vision. So that's my favorite process, part of the process. Um, but then being an author, as opposed to just the process of writing, um, I absolutely love it when I get to talk to readers and meet readers. That's why I love doing these podcasts because I love talking about, I love talking about my books and I love talking to people about it. I think book clubs are my absolute favorite thing to do for author events because I get to talk to like 12 people or something who've all read the book. So I don't have to worry about spoiling anything and we can just talk about it. 
So that's super fun. Um, I don't think I knew how much I would enjoy that, like that aspect of just meeting readers. It's been a while since I've been able to meet readers in person, though. I'm looking forward to doing that again one day. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I miss live events more than anything. Yeah. But I did a ton. I did a ton right before pandemic started. So I'm glad I got that over with, but now I'm just kind of like, will, will it ever happen again? <laughs> yeah, I feel that. <laughs> but at least like, like you started going to events and like you like started being published before pandemic. So like, it's nice to like have that. I feel really bad for authors who like started and got published just during pandemic and like, don't know that fun vibe because yeah, that's it. Yeah. It, it really is yeah and then I know a lot of authors that have never like I've never spoken in person to a person about my books I'm like yeah that's that's sad hopefully soon one day so last year you made your young adult debut with the young adult rom-com with Tahir and Bloom what made you want to slide into YA after starting out in adult so the, the, I mean, there's that, that's a question that I've been asked and there's basically two answers. The business answer is the way publishing works with timing. I had time after I finished um, writing Camila, I had time before I needed to work on something else. So, and of course it was pandemic. So we all had all the time in the world. Um, so I was like, I wanted to write something else basically. Um, but because of publishing schedules, I couldn't do another adult book. Um, and because of the way contracts work. So it was moved to a different age, age category. But really, um, I, I, I never actually intended to write YA, but it really does make sense for me to write YA. My kids are both teenagers right now. So I'm literally surrounded by teenagers. Every time I walk out of the, into the living room, I can hear like um, a Discord call or something with like 12 teenagers and and my daughter all like screaming at each other so there's teenagers even though they're not physically here they're everywhere and then I also used to work in a high school I used to work with troubled teenagers um, kids that had different mental health problems and school achievement problems so I I'm very like I always say that I don't like kids but I love teenagers so it kind of made sense for me to go that route um, and then I, I got this idea in my head for this story um, and it's very much inspired by the kind of YA romance I used to read when I was a kid and uh, very like, very angst free. I mean, Tahira has a bit of angst, but the ones I used to read were very like, they were short, they're like all usually about the summer love, um, kind of angst free, very like small town vibes. And I wanted that kind of story, but like you, like what you said about Shit's Creek before, um, I very much wanted to write that kind of story, but in a town basically like Schitt's Creek where it's just diverse for the for no particular reason. It just is. So I wanted that kind of diversity, but in that kind of story. Diversity without adversity. That's yes, that's that's exactly it. Yeah. Now, mind you, Tahira does have a little bit. It there they do mention um, the microaggressions and things. Both leads are people of color in it. Um, so they both have their own, uh, issues that they've dealt with, but it's not, it's not the main conflict of the story. The story is not about what it's like to be a person of color. Um, it's about flowers and fashion and summer love, and that's it. Very fun. I 
love that. And I, so Camilla Knows Best was my first book from you. And then I proceeded to immediately purchase all of the rest of your books. Oh, so that's like, awesome. I cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to dive into the rest of these. What are some major lessons you've learned between publishing your first, first book, The Chai Factor, and now Camilla Knows Best? Like either about yourself or about publishing in general, like less, just general lessons. General lessons I've learned. I think the biggest thing is that you got, I don't want to say thick skin, but it is kind of like the, what other people's, other people's reaction or other people's relationship with your books um, is theirs and it's valid and that's fine. Um, It shouldn't change the way that you have that relationship with the book. But at the same time, you need to be taking feedback, especially from your editors and your critique partners. You can't basically be too precious about the project. One one piece of advice I heard um, is that uh, like you, you have to think of yourself as a, as a company as opposed to just producing as a, an author of a book. Um, and a company will put out different projects. For example, let's say a shoe company will put out a shoe that nobody likes and everybody calls it ugly. That doesn't mean the next shoe won't be a big hit. And so you can't grow so attached to each project as much as your entire um, author brand and your entire, all of your products. Um, And that's something that I didn't, uh, obviously as a debut author, you only have the one project. So as a debut author, I was very upset when um, I'd get a bad review or somebody would misinterpret something in the book or I wouldn't get showing up on a list or something. Um, But after having a couple books out, Um, I know that it doesn't really matter how each individual one does, but rather how my, how my total um, author brand gets the recognition that I want it to. Do you look at reviews? I don't look, I mean, I say I don't, I do sometimes I I get weak and I go to Goodreads. Um, Somebody once told me that this is, this is my author advice, this, this advice for go to Goodreads. If you first don't go to Goodreads. Um, that's my first advice. But if you absolutely must, then go to Goodreads. And if you notice that your rating is the rating for the book is lower than it was the last time you were there, then go away. Don't read it. Um, but if it's higher, then you want to only sort and look at the good reviews only. <laughs> so you want to sort by the fours and fours and fives and don't look at the threes, twos, or ones. <laughs> that's the only way. Because you know what? Like it, a good review actually does really help, especially if I'm having a bad day or I'm feeling if I'm struggling with is this all worth it? Then it really does make me feel a lot better. With my first book, my husband used to read my reviews and then send me the good ones. So that worked really, really well because I never I never had to go there. Um, but I, I, again, as I get, as I get more books right now, I'm just too busy to care that much. And it sounds terrible, but honestly, I, I, ha- I don't have the time to sit there stressing over that one bad review. Now, mind you, these are, I'm talking about Goodreads reviews, the, the mm-hmm. bigger ones, like the trade reviews. Yeah. You have to read them. You have no choice. Um, and that's a complete different beast. Um, and I think, yeah, I've been lucky. I haven't had any terrible trade reviews. I'm waiting for one to happen one day and then figuring out if I can take my own advice about not letting it bother me. I don't know. Your other books are like being raved by like Book Riot and USA Today. Like, I think you're a little sad. <laughs> you're obviously doing something know. right these days. <laughs> you never know. But also, yay for a great husband who will look through our reviews for us. 
yes, yes, very, very good. He doesn't do it anymore. I think now he knows that I'm that I that I like. It was very much a, a new author, scared, terrifying. It's it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Uh, I have a lot of friends who have one book out or don't have a book out yet, and I I. I see that like, oh my God, my first Goodreads review is out. And it is just like, it's it's so scary, especially since I, I mean, Goodreads is the bad place. And I don't actually think Goodreads is a bad place, but I say for authors, it's the bad place. Like it's really, it's not a place for authors to be. We really shouldn't. But some, some of the way that people mark things on Goodreads doesn't make any sense. Like, it, may, it makes no sense. And, and that's fine because people have to, to use it for different reasons. And I don't have an issue with that. It's not for authors. But for a new author to go in there and see their very first review for their very first book is a three with no writing. You can imagine how, how heartbreaking it is after they work so hard for it. That so, spiral would be yeah. horrendous for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's horrendous. After you worked so hard on it, your very first book, your first review, and it's got no, no comment, just a, a three. I have a friend who's one of the hosts of another podcast about books and she saw like a really popular book that was about to come out, had all of these reviews and a bunch of them were one stars. And she's like, the book hasn't even come out yet. So she like started like commenting me like, why are you doing this? (laughs) Why are you the way that you are? And it really cracked me up, but truly Goodreads isn't for authors. It's for us. Yeah, it's not for authors. Now, mind you, I mean, it, one one thing that really sucks is I told you I started. I mean, most of us are readers too. Authors are readers, so I actually get I had Goodreads blocked on everything for a while, but then I couldn't track my own books anymore. Like I I use I used to use it regularly and review books and everything. So yeah, so I'm I'm trying to find a solution around Goodreads. Like they need to be a Goodreads for authors where we can't review anything. We just use it to just tell people what we're reading, but we're not allowed to review. <laughs> no reviews possible. No just reviews. Cracking. All you can do is say you've read a book. That's it. You're not allowed to say anything else. I love it. We're gonna find someone to source that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive into your brand new book, Camilla Knows Best, which again, this podcast is being released the first week of March. So Camilla Knows Best will release the next week on March 8th. Very excited about it. Do you want to give like a little synopsis about it? Like a little, like tell listeners what they're looking for. Yeah. So Camilla Knows Best, um, if you are a Jane Austen fan, it is a retelling of Emma. Um, but it's got a lot more story than Emma, I think. Um, it's about Camilla, who uh, lives with her father. Her father is, she dotes over her father, and he is a very loving dad. Um, her mother has passed away, and she takes very good care of her father, and she's concerned about his health, his mental health, and his physical health. So she's also, um, her She's also helped with taking care of her father with her friend, Rohan. Rohan is a family friend who also helps her a lot with caring for her father. Um, And then I don't even know how to describe it because it's a retelling. The plot gets kind of like wonky at times. But basically, the story is about she starts to question whether she has, well, people start questioning her abilities in her work. She's an accountant. And she's questioning her ability to take care of her father. And all of these questions happen because her nemesis comes back to town. So this is her lifelong nemesis, Jana, 
um, secret nemesis because nobody knows she's her nemesis. Everybody thinks they're friends. Um, so Jana coming back to town makes Camilla question a lot of things um, about whether about her abilities. And so then she gets it in her head that Jana is after Rohan. And because Rohan helps her with her father so much, she decides to keep them apart so that so that her nemesis doesn't end up with Rohan. And then she knows that that would mean Rohan wouldn't be her best friend anymore. So in keeping them apart, she ends up realizing that she's been in love with him the whole time. Uh, and it's fantastically done. <laughs> Thank you. What was your inspiration behind this one? You just really like loved Emma? Yeah, it, I, I don't have any, people have asked me a lot, are like, what, what, what Jane Austen are you doing next? I'm like, no, I'm not doing another one. I love, I really do love Emma and I love Jane Austen books. I've been a, like a super fan since I was a teenager. Um, I absolutely love it. I love Emma, the character very much. It's not, it's not actually my favorite Jane Austen book, but the character is without a doubt my favorite character. And I love that she, I love that that she's almost like, I mean, it, I, I want to say clueless, but really it's clueless, right? That's the same. Clueless was based on Emma as well. So it's that she's just not necessarily very self-aware, but at the same time, she's not played off. That's not played off as her being a villain. A lot of times characters that aren't self-aware, that are somewhat seen as frivolous or or superficial, they're seen as as being a ne as being negative traits. While Emma, it's not seen that way. And I think that has to be done with a deft hand. So basically the reason I thought of doing this is I had read uh, a review of a book that was a retelling of Emma. And it was, it, I don't even remember the, I can't for the life of me remember who the author or who the, what the book was now, but I remember reading the review and reading the review that it was not done well. And Emma didn't come across as likable. And I really like writing characters that are not very likable. So I saw it as a giant challenge. Can you do Emma, redo Emma? Could I do that, but make her likable? Like, for example, Cher and Clueless. Everybody loves Cher. And it's very much the same kind of character where she's still very meddling in people's lives and overly concerned about um, her image. So can you write that kind of character and still make people sympathize with her? Um, I was kind of inspired a little bit with um, Tahani from The Good Place and Alexis from Schitt's Creek. Those were my two, like, I'm like, can I write those characters? In both of those shows, those characters are also not portrayed as a villain. They're not portrayed as, they both, they all get their character arc, they get their, their, um, their growth, and they're never portrayed as being less than for being uh, image conscious. So I was kind of inspired by those two and then the challenge of writing Emma and then I was like, let's do it, let's try it. And that's what happened. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I truly hate when like party girls or people who like fashion or people who like to be social are portrayed as less than because yeah. there's nothing wrong with those qualities. There's nothing wrong with liking fashion. There's nothing wrong with wanting to go out and wanting to be social and wanting to have like solid and good group of friends. Like I hate it when people. Yes, 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 yes. Oh. Here, here, hundred <laughs> percent. I, I agree with you completely. Like I, and, and that's one of the themes of Camila is that mm -hmm. the reason that people don't take her seriously. I mean, she's an accountant. She works in finance. And her whole family, they're all accountants and they're all like high powered. So she's always looked down as, as being less able 
as as the other accountants because she wears these like massive vintage dresses and does her hair every day and her nails and spends a lot of time dressing up her dog so those things that that you would that people portray well she can't also be really good at small at helping small businesses with their accounts or can't also be good at any of these other things and she starts to question that herself eventually because she's heard it her whole life um, and I agree with you completely. There's not, I mean, I always have my nails done and I spend so much time on my hair and this is, this doesn't mean that I don't have substance. That doesn't mean that I don't have the ability to, um, I mean, I don't have the ability to do like spreadsheets, but I could, if I wanted to, <laughs> that doesn't mean I don't have the ability to do what, to do more numbery or more intellectual things too. I am very much someone who you wouldn't be able to tell now, but spends a good time on their makeup. Like I dye my hair and I upkeep this and I work in nuclear security. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love a good bar. And I think that perception of, of women, not women who are overly feminine or take a lot of care about their, their appearance or clothes or anything like that. The perception that that means they're not able to do so many things has really been holding women back for so long. Right. So I think characters that are, um, that have those kind of, I, I use the word frivolous, but I, there isn't a better word, but characters that are image conscious, basically, mm -hmm. specifically women who are image conscious. Um, I think we need a lot of characters like that in fiction. I was like thinking of the the phrase, not like other girls you hear in, in books all the time. Oh, she's not like other girls. She, she doesn't know she's pretty. <laughs> I wanted to write a character that's exactly like other girls, like the girliest, just like other girls character. And that's what I, that, but then still show that she has just as much value and just as much right to a happily ever after as everybody else. Absolutely. And I think that's why I loved it so much is Camilla's pretty much unapologetically herself. Yes. And it's like, she likes posting about her dog on Instagram. She likes doing all of this and yeah. no one's going to stop her. No. But she's also yeah. very great at her job. Yes. She's also very great at her job and also very generous. Mm -hmm. She's not... She's not uh, selfish. I, I mean, I don't think she's self, a selfish character. She's a little bit self-absorbed, but she's not selfish. She's very yeah. generous. I, yeah, I very much related to Camilla and I loved it. Like her, just the way you wrote her, she feels grounded and real and like, I want to be her best friend. Yeah, I, I want to be her best friend too. I wish she was <laughs> more than any other character I've ever written. I wish she was real because I want to go to one of her parties and I just want to like yes. eat ice cream with her and talk. Yes. I really would like to be like with her and Asha and Nicole, just like hanging out. <laughs> yeah. So we briefly mentioned this, but like Instagram and like social media in general is mentioned throughout the book. Were you ever concerned with rooting your books so deep in the now versus like not touching on that and having it be more like not timeless, but you know, like there's no like definitive. Yeah. I was a little bit. Um, it didn't make sense for me not to put social media in this book because of the type of person Camilla was. So I, that's why I added it. I ended up adding the TikTok a little bit later. And again, that was one of those things I added in like my second round edits because I wanted it, I decided to make it even more timely because at first it was just Instagram that she was. Um, and then I said, well, no, her dog is viral on TikTok because that would make sense, right? And I was worried about, I'm like, well, what if TikTok's not a thing? And I'm like, but this story is very grounded in the right now. 
I was thinking about other famous retellings. Like I, I keep going back to Clueless because that's really where a lot of my inspiration came from. Clueless was also very grounded in that time, both in the kind of like the way she dressed and um, I, there's no social media in Clueless, but if there was, you can imagine that that would be something that would be in, it was grounded in a, in a contemporary setting. And I think if you're gonna do a retelling in a contemporary setting, then I think it needs to be contemporary. It needs to be, be grounded just like the original is grounded in the, that time period. If you're gonna do it contemporary, I think to make it kind of nebulous, it doesn't feel that different from the original. And so that was a very, that was a very conscious choice um, to put like the social media aspect of it, the, like texting each other instead of picking up the phone and calling each other and things like that. Um, I also don't think that social media is going anywhere. So yeah. I, I mean, the specific, we might not have TikTok or anything much or whatever, but I think the idea of everybody living their lives online isn't going to go anywhere. Absolutely. Like I said, it made it feel like I could be her best friend. Like it felt like this is my life right now. I get it. <laughs> and that's that's an excellent point that if we're going to relate to characters then their lives have to look at, look like what our lives look like. And that is what most of our lives look like these days. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I love it so much. <laughs> but you're, like I said before, your characters feel developed and tangible and like I could work with them and be with them and all of that. Oh, Did you, you have a process of like developing this and like like what is your process for creating these characters in like making them feel that way? So with with Camilla, it was easy because because I knew Emma because I had that that kind of background to work with and I had those characters that I was using as kind of my inspiration. Um, I don't tend to know a lot. A lot of what I figure out about the character comes from what I decide her backstory is. Mm -hmm. So with Camilla, I knew she would have a close relationship with her father because same thing as an Emma. Um, and I knew her mother would be passed away. That's one of the main differences with Emma is that I put the, the mother is also no longer with, uh, with her, but I made the character of her mother much more, had a much bigger impact in her life than in the original book. And that was a conscious choice because I needed to try and figure out why Emma was, sorry, why Camilla was the way she was. Why was she, why did she dote over her dad so much? Why did she care so much about, um, I don't want to say why did she care about her appearances, but why was she working so hard to make sure everybody around her was happy? So one of the things that you'll find with older books is the character motivation or even character goals are a little bit less, um, they're a little bit more nebulous than modern fiction tends to have more concrete goals. So I had to, first of all, I had to give Camilla goals that Emma didn't have, but then I had to figure out, well, why is this something? Why is it so important for her to, um, to be seen as legitimate when her nemesis is coming back to town? Why is it so important? So I'm like, well, that's easy, especially in South Asian care culture. Um, the reason why she needs to be seen as legitimate is because their families have been comparing the two forever. And this is a thing in our culture that you're, why can't you be more like so-and-so or why aren't you? So, so I kind of, so that worked for me there. I'm like, well, why did her family compare them? And then I could go back further. And basically that question of why, 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 and go back further as, as you can to get the character's backstory and then figure out where she is. 
but a lot of it happens in revisions. A lot of it is every, like I write the story and then I deepen it and then I deepen the character and then I deepen the character and it happens in layers. Okay. Um, so it doesn't all come to me all at once. I wish it did because that would make writing a lot easier. It's so interesting hearing how authors like create these characters because everyone does finds their character so differently. So I love hearing yeah. like that for you, it's like in the revision process and for others, it's like they come fully formed. <laughs> Yeah, they don't come fully formed for me. <laughs> I love that. And honestly, like, despite the fact we don't have, like, Rodin's perspective, like, he also feels very much like I could be with him. <laughs> like, he yeah, I, I wish I, I, I've only ever written the one POV and I, I want to write something with two. Actually, I'm planning to, like, I think my third book from now or something. I don't remember. But it is going to have two POVs. And I, I, I want to go deeper into the, um, the love interests. I always try to make sure they have an arc. I know where they, I know what their, like, mis, mis, their misguided beliefs are. I know what they're going to learn over the course of the book. But I don't really get into, because I'm not going into their head, I feel like I, I, I'm not, like, I'm not exploring it as much as I could. Um, but I've always, I've always written one POV just because I want to go really, 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 really deep into the woman's entire existence, not just the romance. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I could do that if I'm sp splitting it, but I am going to try. So I'm going to, I have that book put set aside that I'm going to try and go deeper into that. I'm so excited. I'm so excited <laughs> to read it. <laughs> I trust you implicitly that you will be able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Not to like get too spoilery because this is coming out the week before, but you dove into some pretty deep topics in Camilla Knows Best. Like we've talked about how she's seen as kind of frivolous, but we talk, but you talk about mental health. You talk about like not a great relationship with a parent that like borders on abusive. You talked, even touched on like toxic workplace culture. What really drew you to these topics as like motivations and stuff? So that's, that's something I try to do in all my books, especially mental health um, is something that there's, there's going to be some discussion of mental health in, in pretty much everything I write. I used to actually be a counselor. Um, so I used to work with specifically teenagers. Um, I've got two degrees in psychology. So this is something that I feel very strongly about. And it's something that I probably will keep writing about. Um, in the South Asian community, there's a lot of, I mean, in a lot of communities, there's a lot of stigma against seeking help for mental health problems. Um, and talking about it. In Camila, it made perfect sense to me that the father would have anxiety. Um, as I reread Emma before, I'm like, this guy has generalized anxiety disorder and nobody's talking about that. So that, that was an easy one for me. And what I've heard from readers now, they like to, to, to have an older South Asian man um, seeking help for mental health problems is not some, like it just doesn't happen. Um, so adding that level of um, putting it on the page so that representation is there, so maybe doing something for the stigmas is really important to me. But as for putting like serious topics in the books, I mean, I write rom-coms, true, but I also like to ground them in reality. It doesn't make sense to me to write something that doesn't feel like the real world. And those topics are all influencing our, they're influencing our lives so much. Like for example, in my first book, um, Amira is an engineer. And so I really thought about, I made her an engineer because I wanted to contrast her from the hero's job. So that was the reason why I made her an engineer. 
But as I thought more and more about that, I was like, what would that be like, a, a young brown woman um, working in a male-dominated field? Um, and then so I was able to explore even more about sexism in, the, in STEM fields and things like that. So I think that's something that I'm always going to do is kind of go a little bit deeper. Like I may decide some, some this person does this and then I'm like, well, what does that mean for them specifically as opposed to making it very superficial? I loved it because yeah, it made it feel very real. It made it feel like I was listening to reading my friend's journal or something. Those topics very much are like very like near and near to my heart and reading it through and especially from Camille's like perspective it was I loved it I loved it (laughs) I just can't not rave about it because it truly feels so rooted in reality thank you you did well (laughs) do you have a favorite part about this book uh, do I have a favorite part? I love the dogs. <laughs> I really, I don't have a dog. So I kind of like lived vicariously through Camille. Um, I think my favorite part of the book is that the last scene where she, I mean, it's a slow burn, so I'm not giving anything away to say that she and Rohan don't get together till the very end. But I think that scene, I had it all planned out in my head before I wrote it. Um, so I was super excited to actually put that on the page. And then of course, put the puppy in that scene too. I love potato. Potato's so good. Potato was actually based on a real dog. Not long before the pandemic started, my husband and I were, were we went for a walk and we wandered into um, a very big animal shelter here in Toronto. Like a, it's a really, really big one. And you can go in and just look around. So they have like the puppy wing and then like it's all dogs on one wing and all cats in the other. And then they have rabbits and turtles and everything. It's a very big um, animal shelter. And one of the biggest rooms had lab puppies in it. And there were like, I think five black lab puppies and one brown, one like light beige. And I took a picture of it. And then when it came time to write the book, I put those dogs in it. So that got the idea of like, cause that's basically where I got the idea for that shelter that Camilla works in. Um, So there's that the puppy room with like four, five black dogs and then one brown. I love that I love that these are like real dogs the real dogs yes any time you brought up potato I was like I want potato I want potato I know (laughs) like if I could just have a potato in my lap at all times I would not need the therapy that I do (laughs) what are you currently working on are you like comfortable saying like you mentioned that you have like some fun books planned out and you're currently editing Yes. So the book that I'm working on right now is going to be my next YA book. Um, And it should be out. We don't have a date yet, but it should be out before the end of the year. So November, December of 2022. We just narrowed down the title. So I I can't quite share it yet, but I'm really excited about it. Um, If anyone's read my first YA, Tahira and Bloom, this is set in the same universe as Tahira. It's actually following Tahira's sister. Um, which is really, I'm having a lot of fun with that because I can have the other characters in it. So Tahira is in it, even though it's about Samaya. Um, it's a very different kind of book though. It's all set in Toronto. It's not small town setting. Um, so it's all set in Toronto. It's very, um, very social media, bullying, very high school setting. Um, basically it's about a girl that's, that's trying, to, um, trying to combat this social media gossiping about her. Um, so I'm working on that now. But I'm also going to be handing in very soon. So I'm kind of also working on my next adult book, which is 
Jana Goes Wild. So it is Jana from Camila Knows Best, and this is her book. And I did not intend to write Jana's story when I finished the book. Like, I was like, I don't like this character. I'm not going back to her. I'm not coming back to these people. But then I kind of thought about it for a long time. And I don't want to give too much away because the, the existence of this book is kind of a spoiler for the, the other one. So I realized that people are going to get spoiled for the main plot of, of Jana Goes Wild. But I thought about it and I thought about it. I'm like, can I redeem these people? And then I'm like, yeah, I think I'm gonna to try to redeem these people. So it is about Jana and the hero is also in Camilla Knows Best. And the exciting thing about it is it's all on a, a destination wedding. They're all in Tanzania and going on a safari and all of them are there. So Camilla's there, Ash is there. All of the characters from the first book are all there and they're all on this big long trip together. So I'm excited about the book. It came out really well. Um, I will be finishing editing it soon and then I'll be handing it in soon. Very exciting. I yeah. secretly love Jana. <laughs> <laughs> She's a very interesting character. Yeah. I think like, I, I, especially going deeper into, um, into having her own story. She, she actually reminds me the most of me. Um, really? Where she's very misunderstood. I don't want to say that I'm misunderstood, but she's, basically um people don't understand her people don't don't so I felt like more than any other character I was like this hits a little close to home like some of the things she would think of and such so she, I, and that was interesting to me because most of, I'm nothing like Camilla I wish I was but I don't I'm I'm awkward and I don't don't know what to say most of the time um and so it was really fun for me to to go into a character and also kind of explain why she is the way she is like why she doesn't like isn't always the warmest person and things like that and then a complete introvert stuck in a trip with all of these other people um, around her all the time so it was it was really fun to write that's so fun I truly cannot wait for this I truly like very much enjoyed her as just like a nice foil like she's great very awesome so excited thank you so much for doing this that very much I have one last closing question but Thank you so much. This has been so much fun talking to you. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. God. <laughs> so my closing question to you and to all my guests, what books are you currently binging? Okay. What am I, I'm reading, I've got two books on in the middle of right now, and I'm trying to remember the titles. I'm not great with titles. So the author is Taj McCoy and it's, the book's not out yet and I'm just going to look it up because I, I really want to make sure I get it right because the book's not out yet and she's a friend. You can read two books at a time. That's like so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what, okay, here we go. Savvy Sheldon, Savvy Sheldon feels good as hell and it's not out yet. It's out, coming out March 22. She sent me an arc. Um, the author is Taj McCoy and it's a really, really fun um it, it, I mean, it is a romance, but it's really, really fun. It's about a woman basically learning to love herself, but it's funny. It's got, uh, it's got kind of like an HGTV kind of vibes to it. Like it's a contractor hero and they're talking about uh, like redoing the kitchen. So it's like that kind of dreamy stuff. Um, and then uh, lots of cooking, which I love. I love books that have a lot of food. So that, that's fantastic book. And the other one I'm doing, so, so that one, I'm actually reading it. And then the other one is on audio is um, Homicide and Hollow Hollow. And that is Mia Malansala, I think it's how it's pronounced. I'm going to look that up too. It's the second 
book in the series. Yeah, it's Manansala. So it's Homicide in, in Hollow Hollow by Mia Manansala. And it's a cozy mystery um, with a Filipino cafe owner. Um, and she bad stuff happens and she has to solve the mystery. And the first book was excellent, which is Arsenic and Adobo. Oh yeah. Really, really good. It was excellent. So this is the next in the series. And it just came out like a couple weeks ago. So it's brand new. And the audiobook is phenomenal. It's amazing. I love that. I love a good audiobook. I just got into audiobooks and I'm just like obsessed with them now. <laughs> they only audiobooks only work for me when I'm walking, like when I go for a walk. Yeah. Or like I'm bored doing if like I'm doing, Yeah. If I'm doing if I'm just sitting, then yeah, I get bored. Yeah. But I definitely like now every time like I walk to like FedEx, I'm always listening to an audiobook. Yeah. I used to call people and now I'm like, I'm just gonna listen. It's fine. I'm listen to the audiobook. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, but I forgot to ask you this a couple questions ago yep you have recipes at the end of Camilla knows best I yep. loved that even on a staff call today I mentioned that you had this at the end of your book what made you want to include like a recipe for like beginners birani so the recipe thing um accidentally engaged was very much a food book um and so it was my editor's idea to put a recipe in it and then with the net when Camilla came out we're like let's do that again because that seemed people seem to like that accidentally engaged is pretty much only about bread I say like I say that book is just about bread it's not about anything else um but if, there's a ton of food in it and it's a food like the plot has to do with cooking so it made sense um and then Camilla I was like people are going to want to have their own biryani after reading this book and have their own biryani parties. So it was just easy for me to, to, I mean, biryani is incredibly hard to make. And I tried to simplify that recipe and it's still like three pages long, <laughs> but it's doable. It's just complicated. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's put biryani in there. I love it. I like very much like really want to try. I'm like looking at your book right now being like, do I, do I attempt this? <laughs> I mean, it's also really good takeout. <laughs> takeout also well. very tempted to just order oh, takeout yeah. tonight. <laughs> well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Like I said, I love talking about my books. This has been Farah Heron. You can pre-order her book, Camilla Knows Best, via the link in the episode description for bookshop.org, and it will be available in bookstores starting on March 8th. It was such a fun read, so I cannot recommend picking this up enough. You can also follow Farah on Instagram at Author. This has been a Bookshelf Binge. I'm your host, Jessica. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Bookshelf Binge. Be sure to give the show five stars on your preferred listening platform. And as always, you can get these episodes early and ad-free by joining the Patreon. I have some really fun things brewing for the Patreon, so be sure to join now as to not miss a single thing. You can also check out the show's merch via the link in the episode description. I just added a few super cute things, so be sure to order while supplies last. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.